on and on and on. And the reason that is, is because a church never grows more generous on accident. A church never becomes more outward focused on accident. It's just like in your marriage. If you are not working on it continuously, you will grow more and more selfish. You'll grow more and more entitled. And so why we talk about missions, why we are preaching through these books of the Old Testament is to remind us that God has a heart to reach far from God people. God has a heart to work in the lives of those who do not know Him. And we have been blessed. As a church, I wish... I know John comes and speaks it and you think he's just blowing smoke and, and people like Jack Lucas come in and they talk about how we do not realize how blessed we are. You can drive almost an hour every direction and you will be hard pressed to find a place that God is blessing and working like he is here. And there are others, I know that. But God has been so good to us. And out of that overflow, we are going to be held accountable on what we do and how we handle God's blessing to us. And so we come to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is very familiar. I won't go over the fish and the running, all that very in-depth. My most focus tonight will be on chapter 4 when we see a cold, dead heart. But if you remember in Jonah chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 and 5 just to remind us of the setting. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish, the other direction, from the presence of the Lord. If you've ever heard Billy Graham, he talks about this. When you run from God, it takes you down. And listen to how many times down is mentioned In the next few verses, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with him to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. And so where we find ourselves is Jonah in the bottom of a boat, as far as he could get away from God, running from the thing that God had asked him to do, and God found him there. I want you to know tonight that as we preach through each one of these minor prophets, the message is always repent. The message is always judgment is coming. The message is always God wants you to turn. But yet here we see a prophet who does not want the same thing as God. And it takes him into a place of judgment. Tonight, Ten Mile Baptist Church, if you want to bring the corrective hand of God on this place, the judgment of God on this place, It is grow cold to the desire to reach the lost. Be focused more about programs and singings and the sermons and what all we do here. And this becomes the only focus, what I can get out of church, what I can accumulate from church. That will put you in a place 
to receive the corrective hand of God. But it doesn't have to be that way. We can continue to have a heart that reaches the lost for the glory of God. And so if you would pray with me as we go through this precious book. Father, tonight you know my heart. You know, Lord, that I can be selfish. Lord, you know that I have went on one mission trip in my life, Lord, and I thank you for pushing me to that because my heart was not for it. Lord, tonight I pray for this church that you would give us avenues, you would give us opportunities, and you would give us a heart to reach the nations of the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, tonight I pray for clarity, for wisdom, and God, that you would forgive me of my sins, failures, and shortcomings. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so there in chapter 1, if you flip down to verses 12, I'm going to give you some points. This is a long introduction and a short sermon. Look what happens in verse 12 when they begin to sense the storm and they begin to see all that is going on. You're familiar with it, but let's read it just because we're being faithful to the Word of God. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, that the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more temptuous amongst them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. They prayed for themselves, but don't miss this. And do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. It is ironic that these pagans are begging for the mercy of God on Jonah when Jonah had no mercy on the city of Nineveh. They were begging God, show mercy on us. Don't hold us accountable for this man's blood. But yet Jonah, knowing the Old Testament, knew that if a watchman didn't warn a city from the coming judgment, the blood was on whose head? The watchman. And we see the irony of someone who doesn't know the mercy of God, doesn't know the grace of God, doesn't know the forgiveness of God, but saying, Lord, we need mercy. And Jonah, who knows that God is merciful, knows that God is compassionate, says, I don't want God to show mercy to the city of Nineveh. You see, that's how it works in this thing that we call the Christian life. If you raise yourself up, God will bring you down. And if there's something God wants you to do and you don't want to do it, you better watch out because He will make you eat it. I say this not to be disrespectful to you at all in any way, shape, or form. But I will never forget sitting in church for the first time in over six years on Christmas Sunday with my mother. And a little bitty church and the Spirit of God began to deal with me, begin to work on me. And I said, Lord, I will... I will come back to you. I'll, I'll do what you ask me to do as long as I can just stay where I'm at, behind the scenes. I hate pastor appreciation. I hate celebrations. I hate being in front of you, all right? The third and three and four-year-old Sunday school class was my dream job, all right? That was where it was at. And then after God began to work on me, they said, hey, would you like to teach once in a while in Sunday school? Be a sub. Sure, God, I will, I will do that some. But I don't ever want to teach regularly, right? I, my past and my failures and my mistakes, I just got so much guilt and shame that I can't work through. 
A little bit longer, it was, hey, do you want to teach the junior high and high school class? And it's, God, I'll, I'll do that, but I don't want to do anything on top of that. That's as far as this train goes. And so then I began to teach. Then like, hey, if you don't care to teach the Sunday school class, would you lead the youth? And I'm like, God, this is as far as this train is going. And then a very, about three months later, I had struggling with the call to preach and said, God, I don't care what happens. I'm not doing this. Right, I've been in church my whole life. I've seen how preachers are treated. I've seen how sometimes useless preachers can be. I don't want any part of that dynamic. My brother was killed and I was asked to preach part of his funeral. And at that moment I knew, Lord, all right, I'll preach. This ain't a bad thing. I can preach funerals. My grandfather was saved at that funeral and some other people. I mean, I can preach, but pastoring's where it's no fun. Right, you got to get to know people and love people and care about people and try to lead people that don't want to be led. And so I'm good with that. Preached a couple sermons. God pushed us from where we were, brought us here. And if you who were here the first few Sundays that we were here, I sat in the back. I left before John could shake my hand. I didn't want to be here. Didn't want to be anywhere, really. So a few months later, John's like, I don't know you, but I'd love for you to preach sometime after I get to know you and make sure you're not a heretic. I appreciate that more now as a pastor than I did at the time. Started preaching here a little bit. He's like, hey, I think you should work with the junior high youth. I'm like, oh, that's as far as it goes. Did it for a few weeks, and uh, Donnie and Sandy stepped aside, and said, going to do it all. I'm like, no, this is as far as it goes. A few, a few months later, if you read the notes, he said, I think you should be the assistant pastor. I'm like, no, I don't think that's okay. You promise you're not going to leave. You promise, you know, oh, no, no, you know, whatever. Pastor two more times, didn't he? But anyway, a few months later, it was, hey, I think you ought to have the title associate pastor. Sure, whatever, you know, that's as far as it goes. And then about a month later, it's like, hey, I'm going to retire, and I think you should take over. And it's like... I don't think that's how this train's supposed to run. I told God I would teach. I told God I would teach a little bit. I told God I might preach some. And some of you are thinking, I wish that would have all went differently, but it didn't, okay? So 11 years later, I say, Lord, I'm thankful that you sent me, but I would have pastored anywhere other than the place I grew up. Pastoring the people I went to high school with. Pastoring the parents of the people I went to high school with. But yet the Lord will sometimes take you from where you want to be and say, look what I can do in spite of you. And that's how some of you view missions. I'm not going to Mexico. I'm not going to Africa. I'm not going to Nicaragua. I am not going to do that. Listen to what Jonah says in Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. Verse 2, excuse me. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You see, Jonah was in the middle of the, of the fish's belly at this point. He'd have gone anywhere other than be in the side of a fish's belly. You say, Jake, what was it? It was a special fish. I don't know, but I know God made it big enough for him to be in there. I believe it was literal. I believe it happened exactly like the Bible says, and I believe he probably stank when he got out, all right? But in the middle of that low point, he says, God, I need you. And friends, many of you, I believe, are missing out on the blessings that God has for you. You're going through some of the valleys, not because you're being disobedient in sinful ways, but you're not willing to step out where God has you. You're not willing to take that next step in your faith. Because look what it says in verse 9. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. He says, I'll do what I'm told. 
I will keep my commitment. Because you know Jonah's in the middle of that well going, or that middle of that fish, excuse me, going, God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll go anywhere. If you'll get me out of the middle of this, I will do anything. I'll work in the nursery if that's what it takes, right? If you'll just get me out of this fish and out of his stomach. And as you know from the end of that verse in chapter 2, it says, and the Lord vomited him out through that fish. But in chapter 3, we see again in verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. And when Jonah gets there, I think this is an epitome of what it looks like to be spoiled, frustrated, and angry. The sermon that Jonah preached in Hebrew is five words. In verse 4, you see it in your Bible, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Five words in Hebrew. Nineveh is going to be destroyed in forty days. He doesn't tell them to repent. He doesn't tell them God wants to show them mercy. I can just imagine him going through town, Forty days, turn or burn! Forty days, turn or burn! The Bible says it was a huge city. Multiple days to walk through it. And here's this man. I'm, I hope he doesn't smell, smell like fish, but he might. We don't know how long it took. Frustrated, screaming out this message. Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed. You're saying, well, Jake, if you could accomplish what he accomplished in five sermons, we'd get a lot done around here. If you listen like the city of Nineveh did, we could get a lot done around here. Just joking, that's just a joke. Verse 5, we see what the response is. And I, it breaks my heart that this has become one of the most controversial passages because people are like, well, God really didn't mean for them to repent. God told them that, but He didn't really mean it. What it says was, 40 days, judgment's coming. But in verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloths from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. If you want to see change in Springfield and you want to see change in Washington, maybe a little humility and brokenness here in God's house is where it should start. Just throwing that out there. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herb nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish? One, He has not been told of God's mercy. He's not been told of God's forgiveness. All they have been told is judgment is coming. But look at verse 10. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that He had said He would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Repentance happens. The power of God falls. 
And that takes us to chapter 4. And friends, tonight I want to show you the danger of a cold heart. Three very quick things. The first is this. The danger of a cold heart is when God's mercy becomes selective. The danger of a cold heart is when God's mercy becomes selective. Look at verses 1 through 4 as we work our way through this chapter. But it displeased Jonas, Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord. He was angry, but yet he knew he needed to pray. And said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know, don't miss this, that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing hard. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? His greatest problem with God was that God would save people that Jonah didn't want God to save. They were heathens. They were wicked. They were not Gentile. They were Gentiles, excuse me. He wasn't angry that God put him in the belly of a fish. That he was drowning in an ocean. The fact that he was angry is because God loved lost people so much that when He warned them and they repented, God said, I'll show you mercy. I will show you mercy. We see that in the New Testament, in the parable of the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, we know that a son gets his inheritance and takes it and blows it and uses it on all kinds of sinful things, but yet realizes, I need to go home. Even my father's servants eat better than me, are treated better than me. But in starting in verse 25, we see this older brother who was religious, a hard worker, dedicated, he would have been the Sunday night crowd. He'd have been the Wednesday night crowd. He'd have been that guy that grew up in Hamilton County and had always been a pretty good guy, always been involved in church, never really ran around and drank and partied. He'd just been a pretty good human being. But listen to his heart in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to his house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Now we see this passage of scripture and we think, how could you be upset when a prodigal in your family comes home? How can you be upset when someone that you are flesh and blood with who has ran from God, ran from family, is living the life of the world, is on their way to hell, finds the Lord, comes home? Now tonight you probably would never say that's your, going to be your reaction. But it's pretty close when you say things like this. I'm not going to be a part of missions. I'm not going to pray for missions. I'm not even going to consider going on missions. I don't even think I'll give to missions. I don't even know why we do missions. It's in the name, 10 Mile 
Missionary Baptist Church. It's not an accident that this very week is the week of prayer for the Annie Armstrong offering that we give to support missionaries all across North America. Why? Because God wants the prodigal to come home. And tonight, if you are struggling with when God can show mercy on some but not others, you're in a danger of a cold heart. You say, Jake, they don't vote like me. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. Listen to me. God can save sinners. Second thing I want to show you as we go very quickly tonight. The danger of a cold heart is when we reject God's word and God's plan. Look what it says in verses 5 through 9 of Jonah chapter 4. So Jonah went out to the city and sat on the east side of the city. He's literally watching to see what happens. Maybe he's thinking, maybe they didn't really mean it and God will judge him anyway. He's probably thinking of the story of Abraham and Lot and thinking, well, maybe there's not ten people. Maybe I can sit here long enough and watch some fire and brimstone come on down. And so he goes, sits in the shade till he might see what become of that city. He literally is watching and waiting and hoping that God's not really merciful. And that judgment comes. And the Lord God prepared a plan and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry even to death. Jonah says, You're right. I can be angry if I want to be angry. Who do you think you are, God? I hope that you will hear the seriousness of that. But how many times in our Christian walk do we know what the Word of God says? Plain and simple. Black and white. And say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I know I should fast and pray, but I'm, I just I got to have food. Look up here. As fat as I am, if I can fast, you can fast. We say, Jake, I know what the Bible says about giving, but you, know, you just don't understand. I got to have some fancy stuff. You say, Jake, I know what the Bible says about loving people that don't look like me or forgiving my enemies, but Jake, you just don't understand. In those moments, you are doing the very same thing that Jonah did to God. God, who do you think you are? Who are you to tell me what to do? Listen to what we look back in that story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, verse 28b, the second part of that. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him, So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. You see, friends, he became self-righteous. I've never transgressed 
The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You say, well, Jake, I deserve to be saved. I deserve to be in this church. I deserve all of these blessings that God gave me. No, you did not. None of us do. It is by the grace and mercy and blessing of God that you were born where you were born, in the time that you were born, to have access to the gospel and a church and all of the things that God has blessed you with. But this older brother says, what about me? And Jonah is saying the same thing. Why are you saving these people? Why are you reaching out to these people? And the third and final thing, the danger of a cold heart is when God's mercy becomes selective. When we reject God's word and God's plan. And when our heart's desire do not reflect His. When our hearts no longer reflect His. Look here in this very same chapter of chapter 4 starting in verse 10. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? God says, you're desires and focus are out of whack. Simeons are probably upset tonight because there's flowers on the stage and no chairs in the back. Look up here. Suck it up, buttercup. It doesn't matter. You know, I say, Jake Miller did one hymn instead of three. Listen, I love hymns more than anything in this world when it comes to church. But it don't matter as long as it honors Jesus. I can go to Fox Meadows and sing two hours worth of them every Sunday afternoon. I can get my fill. It's whatever worships him in spirit and in truth. They'll say, well, I don't like the fact that you preach verse by verse. Well, that one you're going to have to take up with the Lord because that's not going to change until you find someone else. But what is your heart's desire when you come? What is your heart's desire when you think about the things of God? When you think about how God's going to use you, where God has you, the mission field that God has you planted in. Because Jonah should have wanted these people to be saved. Jonah was a prophet. He heard from God. He talked with God. But we see the warning of how you can be used by God, blessed by God, and let your heart grow cold. You say, Jake, I've taught Sunday school for 55 years, longer than you've been alive, and your heart can grow cold. You say, Jake, I've been on 17 mission trips. I've gave $30,000 to missions, and your heart can grow cold. You say, Jake, I've been supporting missions before your parents were even born, and your heart can grow cold. Your past experiences with God are no substitute for today. Today has to be the day that you're worried about. Lord, search my heart today. God, work in my life today. Because when you flip back over there to Luke 15, the last verses of this story of the prodigal son and his older brother, in verse 31 it says, And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. 
It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again. And was lost and is found. I want you to know that God has no shortage of abilities to build mansions in heaven if he chooses to save many, many more. God does not have a limited amount of blessings that he can only share with you. And if a million more people are saved, you're going to miss out on your portion. The Lord is big enough and amazing enough to be better to us than we could ever deserve. And that's what he tells him. He said, everything I have is yours. It's all yours. But are you so worried about what you can get from me that you miss what really matters? And friends, can we be honest? This is where it hits really home. This is where you're probably going to get mad at me, and I'm okay with that. Most of us have no problem serving the Lord, being used by God, until it costs us something we don't want to give up. That's where it rubs the wrong way. Preacher, you can preach almost any topic in the Bible, but there's a few that when you talk about it, I'm not going to like it. Preacher, you, you can talk about giving to missions, but don't you, don't you, don't you, don't you let the Holy Spirit convict me if I need to sell something to give to missions. I'm not telling you got to sell anything to give to missions. But I'm telling you, if the Lord deals with you, you better do what he tells you to You say, well, Jake, you just don't know how much I have and what that means. You're right. I probably don't. But as Jamie just sang a little bit ago, little is much when God is in it. And I ask you that tonight. What could God possibly be telling you that you could live without? That you could make some adjustments in your schedule? I um, love coffee. It's no secret. Black. I don't want anything in it. I don't want you to foo-foo it up. Just black, all right? I'll drink it at the eight-hour-old hospital coffee. You find me a pot that's, that's a concrete. I'll heat it up. I'll drink it. Not a problem. What I refuse to do is to pay a lot of money for coffee. Not going to happen. All right, I'll eat coffee grounds from an old filtered-through coffee thing before I'll pay for an expensive coffee. So if you ever see me going through the trash can after I made a cup, pot of coffee in the fellowship hall, mind your business, all right? Times are tough in the gray house. Because that's what I tell myself. That could all be used for something more. If I'm going to pay for coffee and it's going to be at a restaurant where I can drink 37 cups and get my money back. That's just that's how it goes. And so tonight I'm going to challenge you with something. God, what little thing could I do? One little change that I could make just to show that I'm committed to missions. I'm committed to doing that. Maybe tonight it's you saying, you know what, God, I'll go on one trip in the next five years. I'll commit to that, Lord. Melissa's working on a trip to Africa right now. You say, whoa, that's a big trip. I don't think I could go to that. Well, we're going to Mexico. Those are pretty full, so good luck trying to get into that one. Maybe, maybe you can't leave the country, but yet you saw where World Changers is going to Kentucky, and they need some good, godly adult chaperones. You say, oh, Lord, I don't want to spend a week with teenagers. I can promise you they will bless you a whole lot better than hanging out with old people. I leave church camp and world changers in a whole lot better mood than I do when I get there. 
Because their excitement, their joy, and God works through them in such a mighty way. Maybe you say, well, Jake, I just can't physically go. I know I can't go. But you know what? I'm going to try to give just a little bit to each one of these mission trips. Maybe God's blessed you and you say, Jake, you know what? I can't go and God's been good to me. I would like to find out someone who can't pay for a trip and I'd like to help fund them go. You say, well, Jake, I can't fund it. I don't have any money. I don't have any physical ability, but I am willing to commit every day to pray specifically for a set amount of time for these mission trips and what God is going to do. I am challenging you. You don't have to tell a soul what your commitment is. You don't have to tell a soul what you've made a deal of saying, God, this is what I want to give to you. But I can promise you one simple thing. You cannot outgive God. You cannot commit to give him something that he cannot replace tenfold over. It might not look the same. It might not seem the same. But I can promise you God knows how to bless you more than you know how to be a blessing to yourself. And so what is my challenge to you tonight? Remember that God loves sinners. Tonight, if your heart's not in the right place, all this sermon won't matter. And so I want to give you about 10 verses tonight. Just very quickly, you write them down about the fact that God wants sinners to be saved. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Ezekiel 33 verse 11 Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Ezekiel 18, verse 32, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. Isaiah 45, verse 22, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Ezekiel 18, verse 23, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, and have not rather that he should turn from his way and live. Revelation 22 verse 17, the spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And then Acts chapter 10, it's the last one. Nope, I'm sorry, there's two more. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, the last one. The time of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people 
everywhere to repent. And so tonight you say, Jake, I just don't see how God wants to reach Mexico or God wants to reach East Asia or God wants to reach China or God wants to reach Japan or God wants to reach Germany or God wants to reach North Korea. Friends, you are mistaken. His word is clear. And so when our heart is not that way, we're in danger of growing cold to the simple fact that Jesus died for sinners. You and I, the middle of Africa, the middle of Central Asia, that's why the gospel is given to us in the great commission to go into all nations. And so tonight my challenge to you is start with baby steps. God, how can you use me? God, what can I do to be obedient to you? And as we as a church continue to pray and continue to seek the Lord's face, God, how can you use us? How can you change our hearts that reflect yours to have a desire to reach the nations? Tonight you can be just like Jonah. You can strut in here, be cold and dead and indifferent, and watch the world go to hell from our beautiful brick sanctuary. Or you can say, God, I want to be a part. I want to be a part of watching lost people be saved. I want to watch dead people be made alive. And friends, that's only through the power of the gospel. Jesus dying, being buried, rising again, taking your punishment and mine on the cross. So tonight, however God leads you, if you're here and you're lost tonight, I want you to know that God will save you from your sins tonight. If the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, tonight is that night. If you're here tonight and you're saying, Jake, I have just been living my life like a chicken with my head cut off, but I want to live intentional. I want God to use me to reach Hamilton County and White County and Wayne County and Franklin County and Saline County and Jefferson County. And I can't think if there's any more that touches us, but that's close enough. To Chicago, to Mexico City, to Mexico City is a city, right? Okay. Someone say yes or no. Okay. Whew, making sure. <laughs> All the way across the go, I believe God is big enough, like we looked this morning, to do amazing things if we'll just let him. As Jamie comes and Janice comes, if you would stand with every head bowed. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. Lord, you know my heart. And God, I can be inward focused. I can be selfish. I can want what I want and what I need. But God, you love sinners. Father, thank you for the plan and the purpose that you have to reach into the darkest corners of the world and the darkest places of our heart. Father, tonight I pray that you'd raise up men and women who will preach the gospel, will go on mission trips, will pray, will give, will serve God that this would be a church where it would touch every family doing something for the good news and the spread of the gospel. Lord, not just each family, but each individual. Lord, that they can be a part of what you are doing to reach the lost. Tonight, Lord, if there's anyone in this place that doesn't know you, I pray, Lord, only you can convict. Only you can deal with them. But that tonight, this would be their night. Lord, whatever needs to be prayed about, that this time would be all for you and them to do business. And God, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.